Welcome to The Spectator's Literary Podcast. I'm Sam Leith, the book's editor of The Spectator, and this week we're going to talk about the Man Booker Prize, which will be announced tomorrow. The shortlist for 2016 is Paul Beatty's The Sellout, Deborah Levy's Hot Milk, Graham McRae Burnett's His Bloody Project, Otessa Moshfeg's Eileen, David Solé's All That Man Is, and Madeleine Tien's Do Not Say We Have Nothing. And here to discuss the prize with me are Philip Hensher, who is our chief critic at The Spectator, who's in the past served both as a judge and a shortlisted entrant to the Booker Prize, and Sam Jordison, who, as well as publishing at Galley Beggar Press, runs The Guardian's Not the Booker Prize. Philip, you've looked at this shortlist. What do you think of it? Well, I think it has one outstanding book and uh, a couple of uh, books that you wouldn't mind reading. As a whole, I think it falls falls prey to the problem that uh, prize shortlists always have, which is that things get through if the prize jury thinks sufficiently seriously of the subject matter of the book rather than its uh, its literary treatment. And there are a couple of books on the, sh- the shortlist that seem to me to be aimed very, very squarely at um, prize juries. I think that um, it's it's a shortlist that has tried to go for some new names, which is commendable if the new names produce something good. But there are a couple of uh, books on here that, let me say, if they've gone through uh, a creative writing degree, they should ask for their money back. <laughs> <laughs> That's harsh. Sam, what's your reaction to the idea that there are a lot of names on here that are new to people. I mean, I know that the literary editor of The Times, Robbie Millen, wrote, I think when The Long List was published, he said, why should readers take notice of the Booker Prize if it seems willfully to ignore the novelists they like and respect, whose books they've actually bought and read? Is having heard of the authors important in a book prize? No, I'd say if you haven't heard of the authors, the book prize is doing its job well in bringing to light books that people might otherwise have missed, which is surely part of the function of of good prizes. And in the ideal platonic form of their every prize, it will be the the best book that wins, not the best writer. So it doesn't matter about the long-term career. I think it does matter about the long-term career in the future. I think it's uh, it's reckless to to shortlist people who only who clearly don't have the technique to go on to write more books and um, I I want to um, sing my own praises here for the uh, the 2001 (laughs) shortlist that we came up with where we shortlisted Ali Smith for her first novel, we shortlisted David Mitchell for his second novel, Uh, we shortlisted Andrew Miller as well as two established names. One, um, Ian McEwan for what's usually thought of as his best novel, the other one, Peter Carey, for a fantastic novel. Now, I think that that was a responsible shortlist that introduced a lot of people to a major ta- a couple of major talents who they probably hadn't heard of in 2001. The counter-example, of course, is um, the notorious year of 2011, where the the jury decided to go for five names that probably had been overlooked and not not much rated. And when you read the books, it was clear why they hadn't been rated, which is that they'd gone for serious subjects. There was a novel about the Damilola Taylor case. It was a terrible novel. It was absolutely terrible novel. It was a first novel. And these people have completely disappeared. They haven't been heard of 
again, the thing about the um, about the the Booker Prize is it does have it is a burden to place on a winner. It's too much of a burden, I've come to think, to give to a first novelist. I think Aaron Dutty Roy is just getting round to writing a second novel 20 now. Twenty years she? later, and that was clearly a very substantial talent, but still, it was too much of a burden for her to uh, take on. No one else who's won it with the first novel has ever gone on to do anything at all. I think there's a there's a strong counter to this, especially there's the danger of rewarding the career rather than the book. So Ian McEwan won for Amsterdam, which is a terrible, terrible novel, and Ooh, and so it's an embarrassment. Surely it's it's an embarrassment to the prize, and it's an embarrassment to him. And the thing he'll be remembered for in the the future is Amsterdam, rather than the really excellent novels he's written. Well, is that right? Do you think? I mean, I I don't think people are going to remember Ian McEwan for Amsterdam. They'll just remember that that was the one that won the Booker Prize. But well, had, we'll see. We'll but see it, had absolutely, it had absolutely no effect on Ian McEwan's career because the next book that he wrote was Atonement, which is widely thought. Now, the, the thing that uh, a prize absolutely shouldn't do is to kill off the prospect of any further great novels being written. Very, very few novelists um, have ever written something really good after winning the Nobel Prize. I think probably Garcia Marquez is in a group of three or four well, you've mentioned 2011, which was... I mean, the Booker, Booker, it seems to me, has had two... Well, the Man Booker, as we should call it now, for has had two sort of moments of what have been seen as some sort of crisis. And one of them was 2011, when... Though I know there are many people who... You know, certainly those on the jury who would dispute this, but it was seen by a lot of people as being, as it were, too lowbrow. It was seen as, you know, having, as you said, hit a lot of novels that were maybe not... Up to the standard. I don't think I would. I don't think I would spawn a new prize. I, I don't think I would quarrel with it rewarding lowbrow novels because that suggests that we're we're quarrelling with it being awarded to genre novels. And I think actually, you know, a great genre novel is just as likely to survive. Um, as uh, as a great literary novel, what I really didn't care for in 2011 was it was not lowbrow, but it was rewarding, not very skilled novelists because they were writing about superficially serious subjects, even though they didn't really have the technical capacity to to do it. They were showing readers, and readers are not idiots. They were showing readers. Um, some not very good novels and saying we as the representatives of uh, of literary judgment this year tell you that this is a great novel and people are reading you know the novels that they were rewarding and saying well if that's what's supposed to be good I think I'm going to carry on I'm going to carry on reading Robert Harris Robert Harris seems to me a much better novelist than this guy whoever it was and so they were would, right. you, they were would right. you agree with that Sam? Did you think it was a, a, as, as much of a crisis as the papers made up? I think it was a PR crisis as well as a, a crisis in terms of the quality of the books because that was the year of when the, one of the judges said they had to have page-turn ability, wasn't it? And yes, it's zip along, I think. Zip along. Phrase, and in a way, it was interesting because it brought into question what prizes are for and what, how you judge the best book, of course. So you know, there were some positive things, but I think I agree with Philip that the books just weren't up to scratch. But was I mean one thing that struck me as quite odd that year was that as it were in reaction to it the Folio Prize started up which was intended its specific brief I think was to reward the very best in literature with no readability criteria <laughs> how they put it but wasn't that a case of inoculating against the previous year's strain of the flu because of course every year 
Yeah, every prize will have a fallow year every so often. And the fact that we still take the book so seriously, the fact that they took it so seriously that it was having this bad year, in a way, is a proof that the prize, as it was then, was generally working. But having said that, I'm never against new prizes, and especially as a publisher, I think the more prizes, the the better and the happier we are. Really? <laughs> Did you think there was a case for the Folio Prize to exist? Or no, I mean... no. I thought that uh, I think that there's a fundamental problem with prizes as a standard of judgment, and to to make the analogy, I think you could regard the prize ecology very much like the Dambiza Moyo case against international aid really descend on a on an ecology that is has its problems but it is working you decide to reward what you as an outsider think ought to be good and in the me- and incidentally you suppress all sorts of really kind of excellent writing that is the direction that writing ought to be going in. Now, you know, it's encouraged, the, the, prize, the prize ecology has encouraged all sorts of things. It's pushed all sorts of novelists towards historical fiction, for instance, which, as we all know, is the part of a writer's work that doesn't survive beyond their death. There's nothing more ephemeral than the historical novel that George Eliot wrote or that Thackeray wrote. And instead of letting them explore what was clearly in writers' minds from the 70s and the 80s onwards, the fragmentary novel, the novel of parallel but unconnected narratives, which they rewarded once in 1971 with uh, Nipal. Oh, with Nipal. They've introduced this uh, the, the series of prize juries who, as soon as they see a book like this, will say, ah, oh, but this is, is this really a novel with their kind of extraordinary kind of hundred-year-old notion of what a novel might be? The novel that is a, uh, a succession of parallel narratives um, on this year's shortlist, the David Zolle, is clearly the, the, the best novel on the shortlist. But even now... I'm sure that there are these self-appointed judges of um, of literary form that say, oh, but this isn't a novel. That's discouraged all sorts of very inventive novelists from taking the inventive path. It's an, instead writing novels about history, writing novels about serious matters, and neglecting the fundamental duty to be innovative and to be fresh. That's an argument against having one prize and one prize that directs people in one particular direction and say if there are more prizes asking for different criteria, so for instance there's the Goldsmiths Prize which has a very different remit and is looking experimental innovation. Yes, which has its own criteria of what constitutes experimental fiction. It's not for a prize jury to say how people should experiment. well, Well fine, if you want to your argument is fine if you say we should have no prizes, but given that we do have prizes, surely if there's a, a wide variety, it will... Well, you think the Zolle's not a novel, don't you? Oh, I do. I mean, I don't have any particular objection to it being on the prize shortlist, other than the fact that I thought it was it was pretty good, but it didn't say anything special that I hadn't really seen before, and I had a few questions about... It's called All That Man Is, and the, if that's all that man is, pity the women was was my initial reaction to the book. But it's, it's definitely got fine qualities, and he's a very good writer. And I don't object to the book being there per se, but saying that it's a novel seems to me to be 
a category error because it's clearly a, a series of short stories, and they're, no, they're it's not. <laughs> they're absolutely con- not. They, is, they have there connections. Is, there is no volume. There's no collection of short stories that has that structure. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's a novel, though, just because it's an, an unusual and interesting but collection my, of short stories. You, you see my point? You know, I mean, why do we care about these things? But suddenly, you know, we're in the kind of prize jury thing, saying, oh, does this tick our boxes? Does this, is this following our rules? Our rules that we've decided in accordance with George Saintsbury's book on prosody published <laughs> in 1903. It's completely <laughs> absurd. I, I want to just briefly... Briefly bring back to this question of the historical novel, because I'm interested you're saying that historical novels never live. I mean, Very for a start, rare. I mean, do, are you saying that Hilary Mantel's won't live? Yeah, definitely. Are you I, saying I, the Mulberry Empire, which you, was your own historical novel, was a waste of time? It wasn't a waste of time, but it was a it was a it was a novel written for a particular topical purpose, which is to tell people what is going to happen. This is a novel I published in, in 2001. What is going to happen if you decide to invade Afghanistan, as you seem on the verge of doing? And uh, I'd been paying attention to Afghanistan all through the 1990s, as uh, very few people had. And, well, very few people in the literary world anyway, it seemed to me. Because every time I told someone I was writing a novel about uh, war in Afghanistan in the 1830s, they stared at me as though I was insane. Uh, But uh, it was a particular topical purpose, you know, it was a it was a novel. That as I was writing it, I I knew perfectly well this was a novel that would probably mean something to people for the next fifteen twenty years. But in you know a hundred years time, when uh, when Afghanistan's got perfect Wi-Fi and and uh, motorways all over the place, then no one would make any sense of it at all. Any more than people read George Eliot's Romola to find out what anything about um, about uh, Italian politics. But are you also saying that Vanity Fair wasn't a historical novel or yes, A Tale of Two Cities? Of course it wasn't. It was about a period in Thackeray's lifetime. That's not a historical novel. OK, well, we're on to, to definitions again now. and we re- we reduced to semantics, but I would say that these things are historical novels. So, Well, a, a novel is not a historical novel if it's set two <laughs> years before the publication so it's gotta of be, the novel. it's got to be ye, ye oldie-weldie. No, it's got to, I, I would say that it's probably got to be set about a period before the author's lifetime. That's clearly a historical novel. I think that if there are a large number of readers who will remember that, uh, the first generation of readers who remember that period, then I think we can argue about in what circumstances that would be a historical novel. I personally wouldn't regard War and Peace as a historical novel because there are a lot of readers in the 1860s who would have remembered the period who would have argued about it. That's different, I think, to this kind of the kind of status of uh, Hilary Mantel's uh, Tudor novels. There's another historical novel, or sort of historical novel, which seems to have lived, which sort of brings me to the other crisis, which is the plot against America. The Americans coming in. What did you think about that when Booker, presumably in some ways as a response to the Folio Prize, opened its remit to allow any novel in the English language? What were your feelings on that both of you my cynical response was that it was as much a response to what their sponsors might have been asking them to do as as the folio prize and it felt that the booker prize did one thing very well representing british commonwealth writers and, and it made it unique in the world going over to america it immediately makes the booker prize in some ways a second rate pulitzer you know they've already got their big prize and the book is never going to 
match that. So every time an American author wins it, they'll be thinking, darn, but I didn't get the Pulitzer. How about you, Philip? Well, I wasn't mad about it while not thinking that it ultimately mattered a great deal. I think it lost its uh, its characteristic flavour um, as a as a prize. Everyone understands what uh, uh, what a prize um, what a prize means, you know, when, who it's um, who it's drawn from. The thing that I hadn't foreseen, which I do think is worrying and ought to be worrying them, is that the people who seem to be knocked out of contention were writers from the Commonwealth. And I don't think that's quite apparent to them because the, on the surface of things, the, um, that cultural diversity is not quite as marked as it might seem because the, uh, a lot of the apparently culturally diverse parent writers from the Commonwealth turn out to be, not just for the Booker Prize, but in other areas as well, turn out to be the rich children of people who emigrated to America um, and are now writing about the country that their grandparents grew up in. Now that, that What actually, are you thinking of then? I don't really want to say particular names because I don't think it's their fault that they're writing this but I think that um, it's a it's the fault of people who think that you know this is recognizing you know the rich diversity of the world of writing when in fact it's actually blocking out the possibilities for Indian writers say who live in India who have never shown any desire to get out of India it seems to me that um, but isn't that to imply that the hmm. that the judges of any given year are rewarding what looks like diversity for the sake of diversity rather than simply picking, as it were, what they think the best books are. I think that the um, I think that actually the publishers are partly to blame in preferring a the, a writer who has, you know, a qualification an MFA from an American university who is writing what they think, what the American public will like to think about, you know, their uh, their African origins. There was um, there was a case about three years ago of a novel that was um, that was shortlisted about um, about an African country where clearly the author had been told by the editor or by their their supervisor at university, oh, but what about um, what about the problems of aid distribution? There was suddenly a chapter about aid. There was suddenly a chapter about um, about HIV. There was, you know, and it was it was utterly different to the novel that would have been written about that uh, those circumstances or about that society by somebody who actually lived there. So I do think I do think that's a bit of a problem. And I think one of the very good things about the old Booker was that it was very open to diversity from the, the Commonwealth, not necessarily from people who transformed their lives and their careers by going to the Western world and writing from there. Sam, can I just ask you briefly, why do you have a Not the Booker Prize? Um, we have it partly for the, the kind of things we've been talking about, that because prizes are so arbitrary and the process is in some ways, you could even say ridiculous, that uh, judging one single book has been the best that year. It's, um, of course, everyone's going to disagree about it and the process of deliberation is something that you never get to see. So we thought it would be interesting to, to open it up and 
you know, open the cupboard and see what skeletons are in there. So the whole thing is is online and open, and all the the arguments are on the page and preserved for for everyone to see, for so good the, and bad. So the sacred trust of the jury room is 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 broken in a way, but I mean, the jury is the the public. Public. So. And do you think they get it right more often than the book of judges? Um, well, it's interesting. I you're probably constitutionally obliged to say you do. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't necessarily think they do actually. I think they can get it just as wrong as the Book of Judges and just as right. Uh, we've had some fantastic books that have won through and done very well. Paul McVeigh's Good Son last year was a very good novel. Benjamin Myers' Pig Iron, which is uh, a very promising writer and has gone on to, to do very good things. So we have had quality things. We've also had some pretty dreadful things and uh, some books that are fine, but, but no more than that, which very often is what ends up on the Booker shortlist as well. Do you think that with Paul McVeigh you got away from rewarding literary insiders? No, not necessarily. He didn't actually win the prize. And the, the person that won the prize, I would say, who was Kirsten Innes, is not a literary insider. Paul McVeigh, uh, no, he's just someone who happened to have written a good book. Not a perfect book. Um, and when I wrote about it, I found you know, a few a few issues with it. And, but um, he's certainly a talented writer and... Speaking of talented writers, I'd like to wrap up by asking you both, it's the old, old, boring old book a game of, you know, what's been left out, but is there one book you'd have liked to have seen there that wasn't, either of you? Well, I'm tremendously biased towards the, the books I've published, so I should... You're allowed from, to name one? <laughs> am I? Well, I wanted very much everything I've ever published to be on the, the shortlist. No, I thought Alex Phoebe's Playthings was an astonishing book and was obviously disappointed it, it didn't get through. Philip? Uh, I'm not going to talk about this year, but um, last year was such a piece of in- iniquity, really. Um, yes, I was a judge then, yeah. <laughs> well, you, you, did, you did a terrible thing Thank you. in omitting Tessa Hadley's The, the Past from the, the, from the shortlist, and it should have won. That is a sensational novel, but it's exactly the sort of novel that doesn't appeal to prize juries because it's not about an important subject, it's not something that you can sum up in a moment, it's just a very beautifully written, insightful tale of human beings. I should say that I'm being just as shameless uh, as uh, as Sam here because um, uh, she's a colleague of mine at Bath Spa, but it is a sensational novel and she went on to um, to win the uh, the Hawthornden Prize. I'm not uh, I'm not totally plucking her. Um, Excellent. Well, out of the air. well, two little pieces of log rolling. The literary <laughs> world does continue on its merry way. Philip Hensher, Sam Jordison, thank you very much. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe at iTunes and you'll get a fresh one every Monday morning.